0: Hey, true crime fans. Do you need a new true crime podcast to listen to? Then check out, just in case you forgot, the true crime podcast about the Stacey Colbert cold case out of Columbus, Ohio. Hosted by me, Bill Swofford. I got the call, ran over to her apartment. Her car was still there. And um, there was still, like, snow on the ground a little bit. I go into her place. I mean, it's obviously that like all of her stuff is there, doors are open, like things are open. So I knew like something, like I just knew it was bad. And so, I mean, I first call my dad and mom, like something horrible happened. I'm calling the police and then I call the police. And you know, I can still see her standing on the corner, waving goodbye, Um, you know, and that's, that's the last time I saw her. I go over the investigation into the death of Stacy Cobert and talk to those who knew Stacy. They reported it it was like a 40 year old, but I still got those little hairs raised on the back of my neck think, thinking this is this I you know I have a really bad feeling about this. My name is uh, Jeff Bessinger and I am currently a sergeant with the Delaware County Sheriff's Office. When a hunter looking for his lost hunting dog uh, located a skull in the woods, uh, that started the investigation for Delaware County. So check out, just in case you forgot, the true crime podcast about the Stacey Colbert cold case on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. The townspeople started to form groups, and they'd walk the streets at night. Somebody had to keep the streets safe. Civil rights groups were asking the city to declare a state of emergency. Hey, true crime listeners. Thank you for joining me, your host Bill Swafford in the Buckeye State. This is episode two of Murderers in Ohio. If you listened to episode one and actually made it through it, and you are now joining me for episode two, I thank you very much. I do give you my word that I will do my best to keep improving each episode and making it worth your time to listen. So please subscribe to Murderers in Ohio. Available on iHeart, Spotify, and Google Podcast. In this episode, we are going to Dayton, Ohio. And we're going back in time to the 1970s. It all started in the early 1970s and went on through to 1975. The people of Dayton, Ohio had started to fear the shotgun slayer. Dayton, Ohio is a decent-sized city. That's in the southwestern part of Ohio. The majority of the people there depend on the manufacturing jobs that are widespread across the city to support their families. Now, in the late 60s and early 70s, Dayton was still dealing with a lot of racial issues. Back in that time, in Dayton, it all was about what side of the city you were from. Because Dayton, Ohio was split between the west side and east side with the Great Miami River running through the middle. The east side, and now it was mostly whites and white schools. The west side was blacks with the black schools. There wasn't a lot of cross-busing and mixing up of the schools. You can tell by the neighborhoods too because you had your nicer homes, your nicer neighborhoods over on the east side and over on the west side you had your poorer neighborhoods. And even today if you drive through Dayton, you can still see the divide Line, which is still the Great Miami River between the west and the east side. You can still tell the difference. There was a man named Charles Glatt, He was the lead expert in the design of busing programs that would mix up the schools race-wise and help the school districts implement this in their busing routines. Now, the Sixth Circuit Courts appointed Charles Glatt over the Dayton, Ohio school systems. Charles Glatt was going to make up a busing program that would take the kids from the west side the black kids, and bust them over to the east side to the white schools, and they're going to take the white kids and bust them over to the east side. The job of designing this buzzing program that was given to Charles Glatt didn't sit well with everybody. The people that didn't agree didn't make their opinions known about this. The KKK even made their opinions known about this. The white power groups have held Many rallies in Dayton, Ohio all throughout the years. Even in my lifetime, I can remember rallies being held in Dayton. And I think the last one was back in May of 2019. So racism has always been inside of Dayton, Ohio in some sort of little way. In 1972, things started to happen in the streets of Dayton, Ohio. In late August of 1972, an African-American man was walking down the street and he seen a car that was passing by. And as the car got closer, there was something that was sticking out the window. It was a shotgun. The shotgun fired and the man took off running. Thankfully, he was only shot in the arm. Months passed by and there's another shooting. An African-American man... was walking down the street, he was high on some kind of drug, a car passed him by. Shotgun comes out the window, only one shot's fired, the man fell to the ground, the car kept driving by. Black men of Dayton, Ohio were starting to be targeted by an unknown suspect just driving around in a car, pointing a shotgun out the window. Police had no leads. At this time, they just knew it was a white male, and a car, and a shotgun. And all the shootings seemed to be just at random. These random shootings went on from 1972 until 1975. People of Dayton, Ohio, started to form watch groups. And they would walk the streets of Dayton, keeping an eye on the neighborhood. Civil rights groups were requesting that Dayton, Ohio declare a state of emergency because of the black man were being targeted by an unknown white man. A lot of people thought this was race motivated and I can't blame them. I mean, this was before my time. I was born in 78, so this was before my time, but I would be saying the same thing. It had to be race motivated. The police actually did ask for help from the FBI, but was denied and they did try to put up a reward of $10,000 for anyone that had any information on the shotgun slayer, but nothing panned out. On September 19, 1975, a man with short black hair and thick black rimmed glasses walked into a federal post office building in Dayton, Ohio. He had asked for Dr. Charles Glatt, and when Charles Glatt came into view, the man gunned him down. He shot Dr. Glatt four times. Charles Glatt received wounds in the neck, chest, and stomach. The man who shot Charles Glatt was taken into custody by two guards, and then he was arrested. Dr. Charles Glatt was rushed to the hospital, where he died from his wounds over an hour later. The man who shot Dr. Charles Glatt was a 48-year-old gas station attendant from Dayton, Ohio. His name was Neil Bradley Long. The detectives interviewed Neil Bradley Long about the Dr. Charles Glatt murder. Neil Bradley Long said that he did it because Dr. Charles Glatt was in charge of the busing program for Dayton, Ohio. Neil Long didn't want his son to be going to school with the black children because he was afraid that his son might be bullied. Neil Bradley Long seemed to have more to say though and it wasn't just about the shooting of Dr. Charles Glatt. Long admitted to assaulting 25 to 30 people with the use of his shotgun. The detectives didn't take Neil Long seriously at first, but they definitely had to look into what he was saying. Now I'm going to give you a little bit on Neil Long. Neil Long was born on September 19th, 1927, in Campton, Kentucky. Neil lived in Campton, Kentucky until 1944, and that's when he moved up to Dayton, Ohio. Neil got married and he did end up having seven kids. Seven kids, that is a lot of kids to take care of. Now it's said that in the 1960s that uh, Neil Young started seeing signs of mental illness. There's a report that on October 31st in 1966, Neil Long walked into a police station He wanted to report a crime. Neil Long told the officers that back when he was 17, back when he first moved to Dayton or was moving out of Campton, Kentucky, that him and a friend was walking down the street and two black men tried to mug them. Neil said that he had stabbed one of the men in self-defense. Neil said that the guy fell to the ground and he just took off running. Long said he had never reported it to law enforcement. At this time, the officers did detain Long while they looked into his story, but they could not find anything that justified what Long was telling them, so they did have to release him at that time. This, to me, could mean one or two things. One, that was definitely a sign of a mental illness, because you gotta be crazy to walk into a police station and admit to something that you did not do. It could have been a story that Neil Long had made up in his head and started to believe himself or it could have been Neil admitting to the assault that he had made and was trying to release some guilt that he had and he probably should have been arrested and everything could have been avoided. Now in 1968, Neil Long went into the Dayton Mental Health Center. There he was diagnosed with a psychopathic personality disorder. It is known that Long has a lifelong interest in guns and military stuff. And you might ask yourself, how does somebody with mental issues get a hold of guns? And I will tell you this, I know this personally, that a person's mental illness will not show up on a firearm arm background check. The only way that it will is if a person has been arrested and sentenced to a mental health institution if a person goes voluntarily there is no court record of that and the hospital cannot release that that's private information if a patient goes voluntarily now if long had been arrested for something and the court said okay you got to go get a psych evaluation and they commit him then yeah it'd been on his record but not if you go voluntarily so with it being on record that Neil Long already tried to confess to something that they couldn't prove, they definitely had to look into what he was saying when he tried to admit to 25 to 30 assaults. And I watched and listened to the interrogation that they did with Neil Long. And he did tell them about a couple of the things that they did, and they had to match up the dates and everything, and he was very vague on the dates in this interview. And one thing I did find interesting at the beginning of the video is that they asked him his name, which he stated Neil Bradley Long, and they asked him if he had gone by any other name, any nicknames or things like that. And Neil said that he had gone by the name of Karma, which is spelled C-A-R-M-A. And I noticed that the detectives, when they was going throughout the interview, that they wouldn't call him Neil. They was calling him karma. So I don't know if this was some kind of tactic that they had to make him feel comfortable or what was going on there with that one. I just found that interesting. The detectives asked long, what kind of weapons that he used. And he told him that he used several different types of shotguns. The first shotgun that he used, he had actually sawed off the barrel. And when you saw off a barrel of a shotgun, the bullet comes out of the barrel a whole lot faster than what it would if the barrel was complete. So you're getting more bang for your buck. He said that that gun, however, had gotten stolen out of his car. And he had bought another gun, which was a 12-gauge pump shotgun that had an 18-inch barrel. Long said that the shooting started in late August of '72. He remembered driving down Riverview Avenue where he shot at a guy that took off running. He also gave a couple different stories of different people that he had shot at. I'll tell you about one or two of them. One time, Neil said that he came up to a phone booth. There was a black man in the phone booth talking on the phone. Neil said he was parked about 75 yards away. Neil said that he pointed his shotgun out the window. The guy had come running out of the phone booth at Neil Long's car. And he grabbed a hold of Neil Long's car by the window. Long said the only thing the man did was ask why. Long said he didn't say nothing. He just kept his gun pointed at the man. Long said he pulled the trigger. Click. He said he pulled the trigger again. Click. The man had lived. Because Long had forgot to reload the gun. Long said he just started to drive away with the man still holding on to his car until he finally fell off. That was one of the survivors of the shotgun slayer. The detectives asked Neil Long if he had only shot men if he ever shot a woman. Long said that he had shot a woman once by accident. There was a black couple that was walking down the street and as he was driving by he pointed his gun out the window and he fired. He was actually firing at the man, but it missed the man and he hit the woman. That's the only woman that he ever shot. Long had said one of the last assaults that he'd done happened on Cincinnati Street, where he was passing by and there was a black man standing out in the yard and Long shot at him. And he'd actually missed the first shot. So Long fired a second shot and he missed again. And the man kept running and kept running Long fired the third shot, and the man finally fell to the ground. Long had said that he had stopped doing the assaults with the shotgun because that the media was making a big deal out of it, and he was starting to be scared that he was going to be caught. Long was identified by survivors and witnesses to his shotgun assaults. His apartment was searched, and they found shotguns and handguns covered by pillowcases. Long's attorney did motion for a psych evaluation of Neil Long. Neil Long was found sane and subject to criminal liability. In November 1976, Neil Bradley Long was convicted of the murder of Dr. Charles Glatt. Neil Long did admit his guilt and tried to show some remorse. On December twenty-seventh, Neil Bradley Long was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences. After his verdict was announced, he was charged with three other murders, where he was convicted of those as well. Due to the high profile of the case, and for his own safety, he spent his prison terms outside of the state of Ohio, under a different name. In the mid-90s, he was transferred to a federal medical center in Rochester, Minnesota, Neil Bradley Long died June 12, 1998. I'm still left with the wondering question of how many other assaults were there that was left unreported. The number of 25 to 30 that could be higher or lower than what Neil Long actually told anybody. It takes a pretty crazy person and a whole lot of hate, just to drive down the street and just shoot at people just because of the color of their skin. A whole lot of hate and a shitload of crazy. Thank you for joining me for episode two of Murderers in Ohio. I hope you enjoyed it. Please and like and share it with everybody and subscribe. We are on iHeart, Google Podcast, and Spotify the podcast and music was put together by myself Bill Swafford